What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. Yeah. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Yeah, we like to go hard. Welcome back, everyone. I have to say that is my favorite podcast music intro <laughs> music that I've heard. Um, I love so, it. <laughs> we had a lot of back and forth with that music, so I wish we could uh, show some of our the ones that we tossed out, but we can't. So here we go. <laughs> As we mentioned in the last podcast, in these first three episodes, we're going through each of our our being myself, Derek, and Steve stories to kind of give the listeners some context of where we've been and where we're at now. So as we move into other topics going forward, you know more about us, maybe more than you want to, and you know about who we are. So last time we got to hear from Justin Short himself. Now we're bringing out big hitter number two. Derek, are you ready for this? (laughs) I am. Bring it on. Are there any limit, anything's off limits here or is, or should we uh, keep some questions off the table? Uh, I suppose you can ask anything you want. You you don't know if it's off the table till you ask it and I'll let you know. But. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. Boxer briefs. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Anyways, I want to preface this interview a little bit with saying both of these guys on the other lines of this podcast, Steve and Derek, even though they are much younger than me, and they will tell you that, have a lot to offer doctors out there who want to do something really incredible with their lives. I've talked to and have worked with some exceptional dentists, and these two guys are at the very top of that list. And not only that, but the speed at which they've done what they've done is nothing short of incredible, seriously. So, Especially you younger docs out there, listen up, take notes, because you are about ready to have some major truth bombs dropped on your head. And I'll just add to that. I'm biased here because Derek and I, we've been really close friends for a good while. But I really can say that nobody, I don't know of anybody that has really influenced my career and just kind of professional vision as much as Derek has. He is just always, he's learning more things, reaching out to more people. He's always developing himself. He's always pushing what he thinks is possible and definitely what I thought was possible. So I'm excited to ask you some questions today, Derek. As an aside, I should also say that uh, people don't know this, but Derek, if you're ever in a group with him, he's he's that one kind of crazy guy <laughs> in the group that he has the self-confidence to, he'll like do any dare, like offer him five bucks to do something stupid, embarrassing, or maybe like bodily harmful, dangerous. And and he'll do it. <laughs> uh, that may be true. We may have to have a full episode dedicated to what will Derek do for five bucks? <laughs> hey, I've raised my prices since then. So <laughs> yeah, ever since he became a dentist, yeah. the, the, the prices have gone up, right. unfortunately. Show off <laughs> inflation yeah. too. So, 
All right, let's get rolling. I'll start it off. Derek, you've had one of the fastest success stories that I've seen. You took a practice from less than $600,000 to $1.3 million in one year, in addition to paying off your $300,000 in school loans. Most dentists would be thrilled with that accomplishment at any point in their career, but you managed to do it your first year as a dentist. What allowed you to do that? And is this something only you can do? Go for it. Man, thanks, guys. I mean, I already like have a little tear in my eye. Turning red really, through this really microphone. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, little bit of my feminine side coming through. I bet for five dollars you couldn't just rip that eyeball right out. <laughs> uh, Be careful what there, you tell him. <laughs> there are some things on that list I won't do, but um, yeah. So yeah, I, I appreciate all that. I know a lot of people hear the story, and it is a cool story. It sounds really great and awesome. But you know, one of my concerns is that you know, people listening and think, man, that's really cool, but that'll never be me. You know, that's just a kind of a one-off. That's a, that's a unicorn, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer that anyone can do what I've done. I'm, I'm really not anything special. I'm, I'm still a dentist like everyone else. It, it doesn't all come on day one. It takes a lot of time and effort, for example. So I loved to sketch when I was younger. I would fill up sketchbooks, drawing animals, landscapes, people, you name it. I, I just loved drawing. When I started dental school and we started carving teeth, it just came really naturally to me. I felt like I was still just sketching, but in a different way. It didn't come naturally because I was born that way. It, became, it came naturally because I had already spent hours and hours you know, and taken classes and kind of perfected this little bit of a, of, of a skill that I had. But others may have looked at me and said, oh man, he's, he's lucky. You know, he's getting up, he's leaving early. He doesn't even have to work at it. I was actually one of those people. <laughs> I remember you'd always take your wax tooth and you'd like drop it in the cup really loud and everyone would hear you and like, how did he finish so fast? <laughs> Sorry if that brings back traumatic <laughs> memories of school. No, but no. along those lines, so it, it's kind of like you're talking about a fixed versus growth mindset, right? Yeah, exactly. What I think it comes down to is this basic question. Do you believe that people that are good at things are just inherently good at them or that they work and grow to become the best. And I believe that if you look at anyone that is number one at what they do, they may have some natural ability, but 99% of what has got them to where they're at is the grit that they've put into honing their skill. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So how did you prepare yourself if it took preparation to hit the ground running right after graduation? Because you purchase the day after graduation, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like I, like I said before, it doesn't all come on day one. For me, it really kind of started in, uh, since I've a kid, I was a kid, I've always been, had this kind of mentality of work hard, play hard. When I was in high school, I was introduced to the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the number one idea in that book that really resonated with me was that as a society, we think and talk about money every single day. But there are very few people that take the time to really study money and to learn how they can make their money grow and how how they can get themselves to the point that they really have the life that they want. So that point was, was really kind of mind-blowing for me. 
So at that point, I decided I was not going to be the average person that just talks about money, but never learns about it. I was going to take the time to study it and to learn how to be able to be financially successful and have the life that I wanted. So I began reading more business books and kind of developing my plan for the future. In dental school, it just kind of picked up even more. I was just obsessed with planning for the future. I was always on dental town watching all the free clinical CE I could, you know, all the practice management courses. I listened to Dick Barnes CDs, Bruce Baird stuff, Rick Kushner, Mark Costas, Fred Joyle. I went to Breakaway, really, really anything I could find. I was reading books on mindset, leadership, money, success. I, I really just felt like I couldn't get enough of it. It was to the point where, you know, I, I was I was skipping, you know, biochem lecture, watching and, and listening to this stuff in the library. Classmates would see me and, you know, think that I was weird. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> I actually remember that specific class in biochem. It was like a particularly boring afternoon. And Derek stood up like in the middle of lecture and you were towards the front of the class and you didn't yell it, but like you like you kind of growled it like you were pretty angry and you're like, this is such a waste of time. And you like picked up your bag and you just like walked out in the middle of class. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I probably, <laughs> I don't remember saying it loud. I, I, I actually don't remember saying anything. You I did. just remember it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I remember that lecture. It was, it was painful. I just, I couldn't stand it any longer. But that was your mentality. Yeah. 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 One thing that I'm just passionate about is using my time wisely. So if, uh, you know, if I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm just wasting time, it just drives me absolutely nuts. And, you know, classmates really didn't understand why I was spending so much time trying to learn about, you know, practice management and all this other stuff. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Sorry. Don't want to interrupt you because it's good. Did everyone like if you were missing class or whatever, did people know what you were doing in your time? Did they know you were going, you know, they, not all the time, I'm sure, but like the majority of the time that you were actually working on life after dental school or learning about other things for real life in the future? Or were they just like, that dude's a slacker? And I have a reason why I'm asking, but I want to hear. Yeah, I, uh, I don't I don't think most people knew. I think I mean, I think probably most people would see that I was in the library and, you know, they, they knew I wasn't like just watching Netflix. But, you know, they didn't really know what I was doing. They, they would see that I was on Dentaltown, but really, I mean, no one even knew what Dentaltown was, most of my classmates at that point. And that's one reason it was kind of, kind of cool is he was just like quiet about all this stuff. And it wasn't until like right towards the end of graduation when people were like trying to figure out like, oh, it's time to go to a GPR or like, what am I going to do? Like Derek had already signed papers to close on a practice and kind of word got out that that's what Derek had been up to all this time. And then it was kind of cool to see like everyone all of a sudden started flocking and asking these questions. And in these last four years, he just kind of had his head down and was doing it. I like the doers and, you know, you, you don't have to tell everybody about it. It's just like, I want to do it. So peace out. And the reason I asked originally is because, and we're not condoning skipping classes for anyone who's still in school, but I skipped a lot of class and I would work on other things. I wouldn't go to the library because you know, that was kind of for nerds at our school, probably different for your school. <laughs> I'm kidding. But really kind of that same thing. Like I'm wasting time. Like I know enough to pass boards and 
that's probably about all I need to know about biochem going forward. So I would just skip class and work on other stuff or learn other skills or flip a house or whatever. But people, the reason I asked about the other thing is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are like, Short's a slacker. You know, he's not in class very much. And I was just seeing how people looked at it when you did it. But yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of funny, too, because Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's all like the one avenue that he chose not to go was like the avenue that like really valued academia, grades, you know, his I guess his dad was like, you know, a university president or something. And he just he found a lot of school to be a waste of time. And, you know, you guys are skipping class and and look what, what you've done. Yeah, there's definitely I mean, education is definitely important. All of us are sitting here with doctorate degrees, but everything in context, you know, I think, I mean, there was some courses that I felt like it was better to skip the lecture and go study it in the library on my own. And I, and I would learn more quickly that way. But yeah, so classmates didn't really understand. I, I would even, you know, I love to talk to other dentists. And even a lot of times those dentists would kind of blow me off. I got a lot of remarks like, you know, just keep your head down after you graduate, practice for a few years then maybe you can own a practice and start learning some of that stuff. But I just refused to accept any of those answers. I, I knew that they, they didn't share my vision. I don't think they were trying to give bad advice, probably the opposite, but we're all in different spots in life and there's not one right way for everyone. But my intention was to front load the process. I, I felt like, you know, I've got this time where I can learn. I'm, I'm going to learn as much as possible so that then when I'm in ownership, I know that I'm not going to know everything, but hopefully a lot of those principles I've been studying will be kind of deeply ingrained in me. Even after I bought my practice, I, I knew I was far from being a great leader, a great dentist, but I really believe that the hours and hours year after year that I spent focusing on my vision is, is what allowed me to reach success relatively quickly. That's interesting. Tell the listeners, if you would, a little bit more about your first few months in ownership. Like, what was it like compared to what you were expecting? My feelings are practice ownership is a big step for any dentist at any time, but very few make the leap immediately out of school. I'm fairly ballsy, but I wasn't willing to do that at that time. But I remember very clearly talking to you during that time, and I think it's good for people listening to hear that it wasn't all sunshine and roses from day one. Yeah, I can definitely share some of the hardships. You can actually go on the Shared Practices podcast. I did an interview with Richard Lowe. It's actually the second episode ever on their podcast. You can go and listen to it and you can hear in my voice how, how overwhelmed and how, how stressed I was. Yeah, I've actually used that episode and then you did one like a year later. And I've I've talked to many clients that were in that same boat that sounded, that reminded me of you at that time. And I, I use you in a, as an example, like go and listen to him here, listen to the tone of his voice. You can hear the concern, stress, fear, dude lost like 20 pounds, and then go listen to him in his next interview a year later and hear the difference and the confidence. And, you know, and I give that to them. I ask them to go listen to that, to give them hope and encouragement and, inspiration because I think there's a big difference and you caught on very quickly. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it, it took you very long at all, but it, it was a cool transformation bottom line. But if you had to kind of pick one or something, what was the hardest part for you in that transition? 
I honestly don't know that there was there was like one specific aspect that was the hardest. It really, for me, it was it was the combination of so many different things. I mean, obviously, I'm straight out of dental school, so clinical skills was a big one for me. You know, I, I went above and beyond in dental school. So here's an example. You know, in, in dental school, I received some kind of award. I was like, I was like the student of the year of my class in endodontics. Well, so guess what? You know, my very first week in practice, my my banker called me. Her son had a toothache. We worked him in. You know, I'm feeling pretty good about things. He needed endo on number 19, so we got started. And uh, well, long story short, I ended up, I ended up perfing the tooth and. Also, also breaking the file through the perforation. <laughs> it, it was it was an absolute nightmare. I and we had we had film X-rays, and I remember I remember waiting for that X-ray to develop to develop, and then pulling it up, holding it up to the light, and just being like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, that wasn't was, me that did that. <laughs> you came in like that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything ended up okay. I mean, it's kind of a crazy story, and uh, you know, got the file out and everything worked out okay. But you know, it was, it was really stressful, and that's just kind of one example. But you know, that specific situation made me reevaluate how I approach cases. I had to learn to be a little bit more conservative as far as what I was willing to do in the beginning until I kind of consistently saw good results and then could kind of step it up a little bit. You know, so that's just one example as far as clinical. But not only am I trying to perform well clinically, but I need to manage patient expectations. I need to communicate well with them and build rapport. I think everyone in an acquisition feels like this. uh, But, you know, I feel like I was always being compared with the seller, you know, trying to say, you know what, I'm going to take good care of you. Things are going to be fine. On top of everything with patients, you also have staff to manage. Then you've got, you know, the business side of the practice, all the decisions to make. There's just so many things in the beginning. I remember going home after work and just having this this headache that just stayed with me. It was just it was just a lot of mental stress. I would wake up in the morning and my stomach would just be churning. I lost like 20 or 30 pounds, like Justin said, in those first few months, just because I just never felt like eating, you know, I just always felt that feeling in my stomach. So I'd say goodbye to my wife in the morning and really not be looking forward to the day. But I also knew, you know, I've got no choice. Uh, You know, this isn't some job that I can quit and look for work elsewhere. My total debt at that point was over a million dollars. I was past the point of no return. But in a way, I think it, it helped me to push myself and to, you know, kind of fake it till I made it. Can I say just two things here? Number one, you know, I laughed at the Indo story, definitely not at you, but because I think we've all been there if you've done enough. And or I know what that feeling enough. is like, and I yeah. can imagine that. <laughs> right, right. So, but I definitely think, you know, it's those kind of cases where you learn the most. You know, had it gone perfect, you probably been, would have been like, man, I'm Johnny Indo, like, give me some whizzies and I'll do it blindfolded. And, you know, so I'm sure you learned a lot. Definitely was at the end of the story. And then finally, I just, I like how you put it. Like when you bought the practice, you're a million dollars in debt. You had no other choice. You were on the Island. Ships were burnt. You had nowhere to go. It was either figure it out and figure it out fastly or slowly. But either way you had two choices, figure it out or sink. And I think, those are times when 
we allow really cool things to happen when we burn the ships and we have to take that island and we've got no choice but to figure it out. So I think jumping in there like you did, and obviously you definitely did figure it out, but I just, I like how you worded that. Yeah. Sometimes when I have a bad day, I'll come home and tell my wife that I'm putting in my two weeks notice, you know, but that's not, <laughs> it, once you jump in, you, you buy a practice, you start a business, you're, you're kind of in, there's no way out, but you know, there's reward with the risk, but okay. So Derek, help us understand here. So you had a lot of stress. It was your first month, but even during this hard time, you were actually taking the practice to a, a much higher level to where it had been previously, correct? Yeah. So historically, they had done a little under 50000 a month. And my first month, we hit 80000 So, you know, financially, I knew we were doing well, and I knew that we would continue to grow. I could just, you know, I could see all these opportunities, different things that we could do to help the practice continue to grow. You know, it was just working through all these other responsibilities, wearing all these hats that I wasn't used to. I'm just glad that I that I put in so much time during dental school and, and before that into preparing. If you had to do it again, would you give yourself a little bit more time before you buy? Like, did, do you regret it all? purchasing right out of school. Would you re recommend that to, you know, other new grads? Yeah, I, I don't regret my, my decision. It's, it's a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's made me who I am. It's really kind of accelerated my success and uh, kind of given me a lot of really cool opportunities. Generally, you know, for, for just the average new grad out there, I, my, my advice is generally to get the best paying, busiest associateship they can find and then prepare for ownership. Even six months, you know, would be beneficial in helping you get your speed and confidence up as far as clinical and communication skills with patients. I would like to say, like, although I generally agree with everything you just said 100%, and I know you guys would agree, but I think there are definitely situations where it makes sense to go straight into ownership, especially if you put in the time ahead, you know, before graduation to learn things, skills about business maybe spending some time in an office, whatever it may be, to equip yourself to be ready. You know, with the right person, I think ownership makes a lot of sense. But I also think, and I don't want this to sound self-serving because it, it honestly isn't, it's just the truth. But anyone who wanted to own right out of school, I would 100% suggest hiring a coach to walk you through the steps of transitioning into ownership at any time, but especially straight out of school. You know, it should cut your learning curve down and mistakes down exponentially, in my opinion. You know, it doesn't even have to be TLP. That's not my point here. It can be whoever. But I feel like, and I'm, I'm wondering if you guys feel similarly to this, that we could, or, you know, I feel like I could take any doc who's willing to listen and willing to apply, I feel like I could take them through the process of purchasing a practice right from the get-go and make it almost a paint-by-numbers kind of thing to accomplish it and be successful. I wouldn't go into it saying, like, you're going to do exactly what Derek did. But I think that guidance can severely cut down on a lot of the unknowns and headaches. Yeah, for sure. That's because it's not the person so much. I mean, it's helpful to be like Derek, but it's it's more of the path, right? This is like, these are the steps. This is the, the road you take. And 
you can be helped along it if you need to. So Derek, if you could pick one, you know, action that you've done to really propel the success that you've had, what would it be? Any one. Mm-hmm. I've actually thought about this question. I would sum it up from, with this from, from Tim Ferriss. He's asked this question to people, you know, if you could, if you could put any saying on a billboard to, sh- to share with the world, what would it be? And his is, you are the average of the five people that you associate most with. So look at your life, whether it's health and fitness or, or diet or religious beliefs, political views, financial status, whatever. You, you're very likely the average of the five people that you most associate with in any of those categories. So we live in an age where you can easily add someone into your life that you really look up to. So what I mean is like, if, if you really look up to Bill Gates or, you know, like me, Oprah <laughs> or uh, Gandhi. No comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stay out of it. <laughs> or, uh, you know, LeBron James, whoever, and you want to be like them, you can add them in your life as people that you associate with. You can read their books. You can listen to their podcasts. You can watch their interviews. So when I do those types of things, I'm adding them in my life as one of those five people that I most associate with. And that increases my likelihood of becoming like them. So for me, depending on where I'm at in life, those people will change. You know, some of them will be constant. My wife will always be one of them. She's my rock and motivation, my love. But the others, I can change, I can change my lineup depending on my goals and where I want to go. This is a huge reason why I hired Justin in, at the beginning of my journey in practice ownership. I felt that it was so important for me to get someone in my corner that had been where I was and that was also already in a place where I wanted to get to. And I think that's something that a lot of dentists don't think of when they go to hire a coach. Hiring someone that has been where you are and is where you want to be. Now, you can say that from experience because you've also worked with, I think at the beginning of your practice, you worked with someone else, right? Yeah. When I was about to close on the practice, my broker recommended a consultant to me. So I, I hired her for the transition. She wasn't a dentist. She was kind of more the, the, the traditional consultant that you would see. She would travel and spend some time in the practice that she was worth working with. In the beginning, it was actually really nice. She kind of took control of the situation, kind of led the meetings. She came in and she had this binder that she gave me and she said, okay, this is, this is what I put in place in all my practices. So at first I'm thinking, oh, great. I can just, you know, I can just kind of sit back and kind of let her take the wheel. Well, I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't at all what I wanted. She started announcing things to staff that we hadn't really discussed and that I didn't really want to do. That was one concern, but really my biggest concern was that I really wanted someone to train me how to be the leader that my team needed so that then when that consultant is gone, I have the full confidence to continue on. You know, someone that would, that would focus on helping me become the leader that I needed to be to learn to evaluate different decisions and make the best one. So ultimately, I only used that consultant for a few weeks and I found Justin and uh, it was love at first sight. The bromance started. (laughs) (laughs) We met online, actually. (laughs) That's one of the things that I loved about the lifestyle practice. And that's, that's one 
that's one of the things that I love about what we do is that we're all about training the dentist to up their game, to grow as a leader, to put systems in place, all so that when we're done with our time together, the dentist can continue to grow and continue leading the practice on their own. I think you worded that well. I mean, I think our goal is always, we want success to continue long after we're gone. And I know we've, we probably have lost some clients when they hear that we don't come in and we don't, you know, we don't hold the meetings for you and stuff like that. We will help you go through exactly what you want to say, but we're not the ones that are going to come in to your office and say, okay, everybody sit down. This is how things are going to run. We want the dentist to be the leader that they look up to. We don't want them looking to us as the leader in that practice. And I think, you know, it may be a little bit tougher in the beginning, but if you're wanting growth for the long term and if you're really wanting to learn and you know, definitely our opinions. That's the way to go. So, all right. I want to discuss my turn for a question, Steve. You're up. Even though I did like how you had the the one word question. You're just like, yeah, how? I'm, I'm, I'm interrogating so Dark like a little bit here. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's discuss something that you've been heavily criticized for claiming. And I've personally seen the criticisms and heard them and very few things can get me fired up like they have. But one of your huge achievements was paying off your $300,000 of student loans in your first year out of school. Pretty incredible. I have my own thoughts on this, but why do you think you've been criticized so much for that? Yeah, this was a, I mean, it was a huge accomplishment for me. I know that, you know, strictly looking at the numbers, I probably could have refinanced my student loans and maybe done something better with the money. But I, I just didn't like the thought of having this amount of debt with no real asset behind it. It's been kind of hard for me to take criticism from others for sharing that. You know, I've I've tried to never throw it in anyone's face or or be boastful about it. But at the same time, I know that there are a ton of new grads out there that are extremely overwhelmed by the amount of debt that they come out of school with. You know, they they feel like they're, they're never going to be able to pay it off. I almost feel like this sense of duty to tell them and to show them like with hard work, they can surpass the debt and they can come out on top. So as far as people out there that criticize, you know, I think, I think a lot of the times it's tough for them to hear that. It's tough for them to hear that someone else has performed and kind of, you know, gone above and beyond. So the natural inclination and response is just to criticize and say, I haven't done that well. So there's no way that someone else could could do that. But I know the haters are going to hate, but you know, if sharing my story helps, you know, even one new grad out there to to push themselves out of their comfort zone, to raise their vision, to say, "Okay, look what's possible." You know what? I'll take on the haters. <laughs> haters gonna hate. I totally agree with that. You know, my feeling on this as you know is when people hear that something like that is possible, that it takes away their excuses. It's easy for a doctor or anyone to tell themselves, oh, no, no one could do that. No one could pay off three, four hundred thousand dollars in school loans in a year. That's that's crazy. But when they hear that it can and has been done, it removes that excuse and it changes it from it can't be done to either I can't do it or I'm not willing to do what it takes to do it, which is usually the case. And that takes people off who don't want to be challenged. So, you know, I love that you did what you did. And bottom line is with haters, like if you don't have haters, you're just not pushing hard enough. And when you do have haters, that means you're, you've made it or you're onto something really. 
So you've told us a little bit about the practice and and uh, the kind of the struggles and lessons that you had in the in the beginning there. Tell us what happened after those few first months, like the you know the goals you had for the first year. Were you close to them? Did you reach them? How did it go? Yeah. So the year before I bought the practice, they did five seventy. Before I closed on it, I I set a goal to produce a million in my first year. I I thought that would, I, I thought you know this is gonna this is gonna push me, but I it, I it also feels attainable to me. Well, after we reached eighty thousand in my first month, you know eight times twelve is nine sixty. So I thought, oh man, I'm I'm pretty easily gonna be able to hit a million. I'm probably gonna be able to pass it. So is a million still a really good goal for me? Is it gonna push me? So I'm I'm, I'm thinking through those things. So I decided to raise my goal to 1.5 and it, it was a stretch, but it was also big for me. And I also believed that I, I could reach it if I gave all my effort to it. Did, did you guys reach it? Oh, I, you, you had to ask, didn't you? <laughs> I actually fell short. We did, we did 1.3 the first year. Hopefully that wasn't a letdown for you there, new grad. <laughs> uh, what, what was your response to that? Like, how did, how did you feel about it? It was actually a really good experience. It taught me a lot about goal setting. Honestly, I, I was I was kind of disappointed. I was so set on 1.5. But, you know, if I would have stuck with my original goal of a million, where would I have ended up? I probably still would have hit a million, but I'm almost positive I wouldn't have hit 1.3. Did I miss my goal? Yeah, but I busted my butt and I was sure proud of my staff and uh, and everything that we accomplished. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Had you set your goal at a million you would have hit it. But I definitely don't think you would have done what you ended up doing. And I think there's a art, I think, you know, to setting goals, just like I talked about last week, you know, my kind of secret goal to myself was being able in the position at 37. And I was 38, you know, way and way not a big deal. But had I originally set it at 40, my secret goal, you know, that it had to be done by then, I wouldn't have hit 38. So you know, I think you got to push yourself, you know, you always got to reevaluate and look at those goals and figure out where you need to push and where you need to set those higher. Because if you don't set them, you're not going to hit them bottom line. But I love the story. Moving on. What advice would you give to others when they're looking to set goals? The very first thing I do with new clients, well, I mean, I guess this is the same for all of us, but review their progress, kind of see where things are, and then try and uh, we determine goals for our time working together. So I've seen a, a really wide range of goals. I've, I've seen huge goals, and then I've seen, you know, pretty minimal goals. During one of these discussions with the new client, I had a hunch that this dentist could do better, that he could do more. So I asked him, I said, I asked him if he felt like this goal was really going to help him stretch or if, uh, you know, he felt like it would be pretty easily attainable. So we talked about this for a while and he said something that that was kind of cool. I I mean, he was he was really honest. He said, I don't want to set goals that I'm not positive that I'll be able to reach. I don't want to set myself up for failure. And I think this is common in all of us. You know, we're thinking of where we want to go, how we picture our life, and we create these these barriers, these these limitations in our mind. We need to practice dropping these barriers and and opening our minds to all possibilities. When that happens, we allow ourselves to reach a new tier, a, a new plane of of thinking. And when that happens, 
we really start down the road to our dreams becoming a reality. Can you go like a little bit too far down that road? Like, is there a realm of like realism? Like, have you seen the opposite people that their goals are just too outlandish? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a great question. I mean, you have a friend that wants to be a billionaire with a <laughs> yeah, B, right? That's true. <laughs> Uh, he actually might get it though. So, <laughs> shout out to Hunter Smith there. <laughs> Anyways, but have you seen goals that are too big? Honestly, I, I will never tell anyone that their goals are too high. But if we're going to have very high goals, we have to have plans and actions in place that back it up. If I set a goal to place 100 implants in the coming year, I need to have a plan in place. How am I going to market? How am I going to convert those cases? Am I prepared to deal with complications? So in another realm, you know, a large goal for, you know, a solo doc to make a million profit in a year. If I want to make a million profit in a year, do I have the details worked out to what I'm going to be doing each quarter, each month, each week, each day, each hour? That's how detailed I want to get when I'm setting those, those types of goals. So I guess, yes, I've seen some pretty outlandish goals, but they are by far the minority. Much more frequently, I see dentists setting goals that are much more acceptable and, and less of a stretch. If I had to pick someone to work with, man, I'll, I'll take the guy with big dreams and goals because ultimately they are the ones willing to put themselves out there and, and make the plans and put in the time. I'd rather see someone set a goal for 1.5 and hit 1.3 than to set a goal for, you know, 800,000 and, and hit it. Absolutely. Here's a question. When I was brainstorming on things I wanted to ask you that maybe I didn't know all the answers to, what is one thing that has turned out differently so far in your career than how you initially pictured it? Honestly, I pictured myself opening multiple locations and uh, hiring other dentists, becoming more of a manager maybe focusing on some specialty procedures that I enjoyed. To get my practice to the point where it was really humming took a lot of effort. You know, it took so much time training each individual staff member. We had our systems set up so well, and I felt like I had, you know, eliminated all the cracks. So at that point, the idea of splitting my time and trying to get a second location to that same extent just didn't seem, I don't know, just didn't seem feasible to me. As great as my staff was, also, you know, this was another concern. I learned that pretty much all my production was dependent on 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 the dentist, on my ability to diagnose, to treatment plan, and ha have great acceptance, case acceptance with my patients. So, in a second location, I'd have to really depend on on the dentist there. Don't get me wrong; there there's a ton of dentists that do this well, and they make it work for them. You know, there's a dentist that I coached, and he had four practices. Uh, I worked with him to help him teach and train and motivate all the other dentists and, and staff at all his locations. And he made it work. But my biggest concern was this. It was, it was the law of diminishing returns. So in my practice, over three, three days a week, 23 hours clinically, my practice does over 1.5 with less than 50% overhead. So when I'm thinking of this second location, I'm thinking, how much more time is a second location going to require from me each week? And how much more would I make from it? And when I try and work those things out, it just, it didn't make sense. It wasn't a direction that I wanted to go. So I absolutely love just having one location, one staff and, and patient base to manage. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't picture myself that way. I, I had other ideas in mind. Yeah. I think that's a real kind of sweet spot 
in dentistry though is, and you know, there's lots of different models that people are very successful with, but lots of times the multiple practices, franchises, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of allure and ribbons and celebrations by having multiple practices. But a lot of people don't understand the potential that one, like a one location with one doc in a highly productive and efficient practice, it can just the profitability with the lifestyle on the side. It, it's just like a real sweet spot that a lot of dentists, I think, don't really understand. <laughs> a lot of single practice dentists, they just don't understand. I agree. I think they underestimate what one practice can do. And I think they underestimate all that goes into running more than one practice and doing it successfully. Can it be done 100%? But it's not like, you know, Hunter or anyone else who's doing it well just says, hey, I'm going to buy a practice. Boom, it's done. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I think, and just like in most things in social media, you hear about the success stories, you know, you see people on their yachts or doing whatever, but you don't see the, the headaches. And I think that's what we see a lot. We hear from the doctors who are like, I'm stressed out. I'm, I'm burning my candle both ends. I've got two or three practices. I'm dying here. What do I need to do? So, you know, it can definitely be done. We have nothing against it. We have clients with multiple practices, but don't underestimate what one powerful practice can do as well. Yeah. I, I tell Dennis when they're thinking about doing a second one, that's great, but let's let's max out the potential of your first and then we'll make the move and and there's a good chance that you'll you'll realize it's not necessary if you really get your ducks in a row with the first one. 100%. Nine times out of 10 when they say that, there's always meat, a lot of meat usually left on the bone on that one practice. And that your practice is like a prime example of that, Derek. So so you have this successful practice, three days a week, great lifestyle. And then uh, why coaching? You kind of jumped out and you've been building this new thing. Tell us about it. I've always really enjoyed networking with other dentists. For years, I was the young, inexperienced one asking the questions to everyone else that I looked up to. So, you know, since running a successful practice, it's been an absolute thrill for me to be able to be that figure for others. You know, when people ask those questions, if you had all the money in the world, or, you know, if money didn't matter, what would you be doing? When I think of those questions, obviously, my, my first thoughts go to my family, my family will always be number one. But after that, when I start to think about, um, you know, how could I give back and contribute to society? When I think of what I can give, I think of helping others to reach financial success and, you know, their desired lifestyle. Ultimately, that's 100% what we do at the lifestyle practice. So in a way, I kind of feel like I'm living the dream. I just finished up a year with a dentist and we were reviewing his progress that he'd made. He's making a good chunk of money, a lot more than he was a year ago, and uh, also spending more time with his wife and kids, time on hobbies. There's not a lot of other things that bring me greater fulfillment than that. So for those of you that have kids, at least for me, when you see the magic in their eyes during Christmas or, you know, their energy and joy at Disneyland, it just it just brings back all those feelings from childhood. And it just it just feels magical. And I, I honestly feel that same way about coaching other dentists. It, it You know, I, I see them reach that success and it just it takes me back to going through my struggles and coming out on top. I know that student loans are crazy high. I know that DSOs are expanding. I know that insurance companies are, are cracking down. But 
I have refused to let those things impact me in a negative way, to let those things stop me from having the life that I want. You, you don't have to sacrifice your family life to have a successful practice. And, and you don't have to sacrifice your practice to have a successful family life. So I'm, I'm sharing my story and I'm devoting a good chunk of my time each week to uh, focusing on helping other dentists to reach the success that they're looking for that you know they, they may have not known was possible. I like how you put that. As we wrap up, what is one thing or one piece of advice you'd like to tell young docs? I guess they don't have to be young. What do you want to tell docs who are motivated, have big goals, but are struggling to believe the dental dream is actually possible? I would say don't settle. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to anyone that says that you can't have your life the way that you want it. Surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you and help you. And yourself, don't allow yourself to say, well, it worked for him, but I don't think it'll work for me. You and I have as much potential as anyone and telling ourselves otherwise is is selling ourselves short. This life is meant to be full of joy, not pain and stress. We're all gonna have those ups and downs, but don't let the downs discourage you. Always keep your vision and always keep pushing and you can reach it. Yeah, and I'll say that's one thing that you do really well, Derek, is you know, don't let the downs discourage you. <laughs> like, um, you, don't get, you don't get down. And if you do, it's really short. Anyway, so I'll let us wrap up here. Derek, that story is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And, it's, and I can say it's been fun for me to see, see it all from the very beginning, from you know, when you were just thinking about these big goals and dreams and actually making plans and then actually make it happen. And now you're guiding others. So it's been fun to see. And I'm, I'm sure there'll they'll be a lot more big things to come, too. So I'm excited to watch those. Me, too. Thanks. I agree with Steve. Derek, thanks for sharing your story and being willing to be open and spread the love to other doctors out there. I think one of the last things you said, we all have ups and downs, but don't let the downs discourage you. And I say this a lot to clients. You know, they call and they've had a bad day or they got a bad review. And, you know, just like you said, I always go back to and let them know, like, what separates us as dentists or what defines one dentist to another is not the fact that we have ups and downs because each and every one of us have them. You know, there's not one dentist out there who doesn't have bad days, cases that go wrong, gets a bad review, gets patient, doesn't like them. But it's how we handle those or how we get over those and move on and how we bounce back. That's what separates us. Not the fact that we have them or not, because we all have them, but it's how we handle them and bounce back is what defines us. So hopefully people hearing it take it to heart and pushes them on to do similar things or even bigger and better things. You know, I think we're always willing for clients to suppress us and we're all for it. But anyways, bottom line, thank you. And next week, guys, we have Steve's story. Yeah, get ready. Get ready. It's my new disc jockey voice. Hey, everybody coming at you. We got Steve (laughs) before we start to move on to other topics and as always, as we get rolling in this podcasting, definitely appreciate any reviews. I know I've always heard that at the end of podcasts and other people say that. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's the big deal? Now it, it's finally sinking in. Oh yeah, it helps. So we also would like to hear your feedback. 
questions that you have for us or topics you'd like us to discuss on the podcast in upcoming weeks, you can email us at Justin, Derek, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk to you next week.